Two Kids in a Career is produced by Jill Devine Media. Just make sure your toolbox is full and that you have the right things to get you to the next step. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I never like to go into this with all patients, but I was raised that prayer is your first medicine. Yep. And when you start there, what comes afterwards is up to you to follow through with. So there are people who come in the door and they're just like, I don't, I'm feeling like this could be helpful. I don't want to get in the way of that. And they're going to be people who just say, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I will support you just the same. That's why I always go back. It's up to you. Two Kids in a Career is brought to you by Blondin Real Estate. They're a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years of experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See the properties they have to offer at BlondinRealEstate.com. That's BlondinRealEstate.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 73 of the podcast. Don't forget to stick around until the end of the episode to hear this week's Supermom shout-out brought to you by Addie's Way. All right, this conversation today, it's really kind of interesting to me because I hope or want to listen back to this episode in... mm, five years and be like, what in the heck were these people thinking? Like, why is this such a big conversation to have? But as with anything, sometimes you have to have those conversations to get to, I don't know, would you call it like the norm that it's just something that you talk about every day? Uh, Jamila, would, would you say that maybe before I start telling people exactly what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, life, if nothing else in this past year, has taught us to be flexible and open and forgiving to many things. Uh, I've had to challenge challenge many of my own personal, you know, thoughts and, and ideologies. So an industry that is burgeoning with that challenge every single day for many people, I think is showing and proving that it is more important and will become a, a kind of mainstay in our in our home so yeah so what we are going to talk about get yourself ready if you're not used to this or you're like what uh we are going to talk about cannabis and what i want to do is educate this is what i want this episode to be about um first of all jamila is a doctor and i have lots of questions for you and um you are part of this cannabis world. And it's just, it's so kind of risque to some people. I will say being in St. Louis in the Midwest, it's definitely a little bit more risque than, you know, in other parts of the country. But one thing that I have talked a lot about in this podcast for this year is that the word I chose for 2021 is self-care. And I believe self-care is not just about the action, but it's also about the research. And it's also about looking into things that maybe you wouldn't normally look into. And I think 
that the cannabis world is something that definitely can help with self-care. I don't know enough as far as the medical marijuana side of it. I just know marijuana from, I mean, like most people, it's a drug and people would just use it to get high. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think, and, and you know that, on your end, what most people think of. They don't really realize what cannabis is. And I will say to the listener that you and I did have a conversation before this. Um, and one thing that you you brought up so many great points to me, but one thing that really kind of resonated with me was that this is a plant-based medicine. And so this whole idea of plant-based healing, which I've already started looking at for my own well-being, it didn't even hit me like cannabis mm -hmm. is part of that. Mm -hmm. So we have lots of things to discuss, but we should probably talk about why you're qualified to talk about these things with me. So um, Dr. Jamila Owens-Todd, she is joining me right now. Let's talk about your past. Let's talk about what you do and where you are, and then maybe some of those um, myths that we want to debunk. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to, to chat about cannabis as it is, uh, even as I say this today, working in the industry seems a bit odd. Um, mm -hmm. My history, you know, my background started working, uh, my undergrad was in the sciences, so I was a chemistry major. I went on to become a chemist and worked at wonderful places like the Food and Drug Administration. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And even while working as a chemist and loving science and loving chemistry, I knew then that there was another part of science that we weren't exploring in a traditional form. Um, and I say that meaning I came across things like, you know, ginger root or echinacea, which were showing very valid signs in health and health improvement, but weren't necessarily considered valid when it came to medicine. And a lot of that came with my early studies. And once I became you know, a chemist working in the industry, I knew I was going to do like a PhD in organic chemistry or something like that. But as I was saying that to myself, my purpose was to find a cure for cancer. And I was saying, you know, I'm getting into science to find a cure for cancer. And the more I studied the medicines that were available, which were all new, you know, chemotherapy was still being discovered and and the efficacy of those medicines, I started to really like dive into people who were beating cancer and were in remission, and they were doing what we call an integrative approach. And so they may have taken some traditional meds, but they definitely were doing integrative, meaning they were adding in herbs like turmeric or drinking ginger tea. They were doing mind-body medicine, maybe adding in some meditation. So things that are considered non-traditional, integrative, or alternative medicine. And once I discovered that there was a very valid training program, which was a four-year degree program where you become a naturopathic doctor, I pivoted. Instead of going into organic chemistry, I went into this, this program to become a naturopathic doctor. And in that program, you take the four years to study, you know, you're studying pathology and, you know, microbiology. You're studying the body, anatomy, physiology. You work in cadaver labs and understanding the very intricacies of the cellular system and the makeup. But then we take that knowledge and we use alternatives, we use plants and vitamins and foods to now heal as opposed to relying on the traditional prescription meds. I am not against prescription medications. I think they serve a purpose. But what I 
do find is we should consider other alternatives in the total, totality of healing. And so that led me into becoming a naturopathic doctor. Um, that program, a course of study was in Toronto. Um, at the time, there were eight accredited schools uh, throughout North America. So I went to the one in Toronto. And then I came back to St. Louis and I started my practice in naturopathic medicine. And that's what I've done for you know, the past 13 years. Interestingly enough, you know, being someone who is an advocate for plant medicine, who believed in plant medicine, who made plant medicines and, and did formulations and made, you know, worked with supplement companies and I made teas, there was in around 2015, I started getting, you know, parents coming to me with children with epilepsy disorders, and they were speaking of using cannabis. Um, I, like many people, well, I was raised that cannabis was the devil's weed and those people who consume cannabis, like they were over there and I judged them and I thought, oh, they're never going to be anything in life. And I just had, this was the misconception that I had. Uh, I think there, unfortunately, is the ability to abuse anything. We abuse food. Um, you know, sugar is one of the most addictive substances mm. in the world. We abuse, you know, look at soda. How many times have you heard someone say they're addicted to soda? Um, So there are many things that are addictive in nature, and it starts with the nature of the person as opposed to the substance. And more and more and more, we're finding marijuana, cannabis, whatever you name it, does not have that association of addictive nature as much as it does, as we know, to opioids and oxy and Percocet, some of those very common prescription pain medications. So as I started to dive into the research and really take these parents seriously, because I have a child and I think I would do anything. my child and I had to step back and get my judgments out of the way and my you know preconceived notions and really look at it for what it was which was plant medicine and I was finding that the kids in my practice when they use CBD not THC cannabis and we'll get into that they were showing a significant reduction in seizures and I mean that's it was just so undeniable so at some point I had to say this is really really important. So I wanted to be on the educating end, take myself into consideration how I was not educated enough to know that there was some science there. And I think the world is still kind of unfolding this science and research as we speak. So then I had the opportunity to dive in. I had the opportunity to actually work with pediatric patients and see that they were showing significant benefit. And this was indeed valuable medicine. I wrote down quite a few things. Um, (laughs) um, I mean, the one thing I wrote down, preconceived idea of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And I think most people do have that preconceived idea of cannabis, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's definitely something I want to get into. But one thing that you mentioned with the addiction I don't even know if I'm using this the right way, but when people say it's a gateway drug mm-hmm. and are they referring to marijuana or, and I say, are they, I mean, I'm just kind of generalizing, but you often hear that like, oh, you do this and it's going to lead to this. And right. in my case, I think that I've heard oh, if you try marijuana, then you will be addicted to cocaine. And it's like, wait a minute, we just Mm -hmm. went through some big steps there. So do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think it's, and that's a really good place to start because the concept of gateway drug is it's an item that's not technically addictive, but it encourages the user to want a bigger high or to move into a more addictive substance 
that has been consistently debunked with regards to marijuana. And just to not get overly scientific, but how many things work in the brain and how they work on different receptors. You have nicotine receptors. We have opioid receptors. We have cannabinoid receptors, which are the receptors that are used when consuming cannabis products. And those receptors all have kind of what we say upregulating or stimulating components or downregulating or depressant components. What has been found with the cannabinoid receptors is that they have more of a homeostatic. And what that means is they're more of a balancing component to the brain as opposed to constantly firing or constantly downregulating, which is more um, important to know this is less, even less likely to cause further addiction or further need to move to more addictive substances. So that has been debunked um, and is still being explored as to why when we know that alcohol and nicotine and opioids are the drugs that often lead to an increased response or increased need, um, and often people seek to have other highs. So those will be more likely to be considered gateway, even though they are already addictive, and more so than cannabis. Um, the other thing I would say about cannabis, yes, it is also true that someone can use cannabis and they get to a point where they need more of it. Those users, those people, traditionally only continue to use cannabis. So the evidence shows that cannabis users continue to be consistently cannabis users and nothing else, where that has not been true with nicotine, has not been true with alcohol, has not been true with opioids. Very interesting. Okay. In that whole realm of things, something you mentioned a little bit ago about it, it being the devil's <laughs> The devil's weed, you know, like everybody that you, yeah, you have some cannabis or you uh, do that in any way, you are going to hell and all of that. So now that you went from that aspect to what you're doing now, how do you explain it to people that say that to you? Yeah, I explain it as um, what you see now with the pop-up of medical marijuana dispensaries and companies throughout the United States. What a lot of those companies are focusing on is the low dose or micro dosing of cannabis because the efficacy, the science shows that when you're taking a cannabis product in low dosages, it does have the reduction of pain. It does help with neurological health and neurological imbalances. It does help with reducing anxiety. So the education becomes around explaining that first this is a plant this plant that grows naturally and wild without us doing anything to it, offers medicine. So it is our duty to understand the proper way to use it, the proper way to incorporate it into a healing plan, and then discussing how microdosing is really the best way. So even the advocates in the industry for this plant are saying, no, you shouldn't be you know, taking in large amounts of this substance to really have its therapeutic effect is to use it in small dosages or small amounts. And you see that in the packaging and many of the industry, you see that in a lot of the conversation. So I love that even the people behind it, the, the businesses behind you know, producing cannabis or even you know, promoting it as medicine and using it in, in minor dosages. So I, I really think it, it depends on what the needs are. And I don't ever want to tell someone this is it, this is the end all be all, and this is the only medicine you should be incorporating in your life. I would say if you you never have to use it, but consider it just as you would peppermint or you know, chamomile 
or lemon balm. These are additional herbs that we know that have similar effects, but not to the, the, the major degree that uh, the cannabis effects are on the brain. So I, I really try to pull back and look at, look at it in the scope of plant medicine. There are plants that we have access to that grow wild that are poisonous, that we should avoid. You have an arnica flower that's a poisonous plant. You know, we see um, good old poison ivy. We run for it. Believe it or not, poison ivy was used as medicine at one point and, and still can be used in some alternative therapies in very tiny amounts. So there are a lot of plants that we have known and become common nomenclature to avoid or step away from. However, uh, they don't have that stigma attached to them, just uh, the same as cannabis. And for many reasons, I'm sure I will get into, but I, there, there's a whole host of aspects of why this plant was was you know singled out as opposed to, let's say, an arnica flower, which is also known to be toxic if you ingest it and cause more, much more harm than it would a cannabis flower. Okay. And, and that's my next question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't expect you to get into all of that, right. but obviously we're having this conversation and the reason yeah. we have to have this conversation, unlike talking about lavender or mm-hmm. turmeric or something like that is because it is illegal yes. technically before, right. you know, so that's, that's where I get confused. Like yes. how, how did that happen? And, and to why we finally are here now, obviously we know because of the benefits, but mm-hmm. what happened before to make it illegal? Yeah. So there are many theories and I really try not to stick to the theories. I stick to the facts and the facts from what I see it, it was, um, well, let me be clear. Facts are, I always say facts are also subjective these days. So what, um, there were many initiatives in the early, you know, 1950s and 60s where mar- uh, marijuana or cannabis, I usually refer to it as cannabis, was um, isolated as a problematic drug for many reasons because many people can grow it. There's, lot, there's a lack of control um, for the population in the sense of medicines. If I can grow it, you can grow it, then we can't necessarily patent this drug. Mm-hmm. Um, I give the example all, t- of all of the time when it comes to white willow bark. White willow bark is a plant that has salicylic acid in it. And salicylic acid is common ingredient. It's what's used in aspirin. So if I were to grow white willow bark, I can have a form of aspirin that I could use for pain reduction. So what happens is companies or you know, we call it big pharma or the pharmaceutical complex is able to isolate this molecule and put a patent on it. And now they can sell it as aspirin. So you don't get the same exact thing that you get from the white willow bark as you do in the aspirin, but now there is a patent that follows. What we know about cannabis is that there was um, a very socioeconomic component attached to it in, you know, 60s going into the 70s where it became demonized. And mm-hmm. some of that people suggest was due to the ability for everyone to grow it. Some of it had a lot to do with, you know, impoverished neighborhoods and communities, um, a very specific um, attachment to neighborhoods of color, where if these uh, people were found, if we were found with any component of mar- marijuana or cannabis, then there was very harsh um, penalties placed upon it. In order for those penalties to be even more enforced, there had to be a level of illegality or illicitness to the drug. And that's where we got the federal, um, you know, mandates 
that were then stating that cannabis is a schedule one drug. I don't even, I can't even say how hilarious that is to me for someone working in a lab. My first, one of my first uh, chemist positions was with in a narcotics lab where I tested oxycodone and all of those, you know, known opioid drugs, which you have to really kind of be covered and suited and very protected when you're working with those, even in small amounts. Fentanyl was a drug that came in in the early 2000s to be tested in the lab that I was working. And these are scheduled narcotics that require a lot of regulation and are deadly in small dosages. So to have a cannabis plant to be, to equate to that chemically is just, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, so you have to start wondering what other reason would this drug, which is a plant, would be scheduled so high alongside cocaine hydrochloride, alongside oxycodone. And again, the theories were flying, but again, it, if you look at the science, it just, just didn't make sense. And so when you saw the legality imposed upon it and the amount of people affected by this drug and its illicitness, it definitely makes you question why um, such harsh, harsh restrictions would be placed on this plant. And so um, definitely a socioeconomic component to it that thrives more so than the illicitness of the plant, more so than the chemical compounds of the plant because those chemical compounds, which are now being sold in dispensaries in small amounts, are consistently showing that they don't have the negative side effects, that they don't produce the concern of you know, damage to the neurological system. I mean, that's being debunked by scientists across the world every single day. And now everyone's kind of rolling back to how did we get here? And it goes into the systemic um, racism. It goes into systemic um, laws against uh, impoverished people, the class war. You know, it, there's a whole aspect of that that ties into cannabis, which unfortunately is now being unveiled. I'm going to hit pause on the conversation with Jamila for just a minute to talk to you about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blondin Real Estate. If you're following the real estate market, even if you're not interested in buying or selling, you know, it's really cray cray right now. It is just insane. And what's interesting, though, is that there are a lot of people who haven't really been thinking about buying or haven't really been thinking about selling, but now they are because they see what's happening and they see these great deals that are being done. And when I asked one of the owners of Blondin Real Estate, like, what's your hot tip? How do people get what they want? She said, you have to know first. So if you sign up with this feature that they have at BlondinRealEstate.com, you'll get a weekly update and you will learn about properties before they hit the market which is great. And this is for sellers and buyers. And like I said, maybe you're not ready to sell or buy right now, but staying in the know to see what's happening around you could make you decide differently. So sign up now, blondinrealestate.com, blondinrealestate.com. All right, let's unpause the conversation and get back to it with Jamila. I have all these different things that I want to discuss with you about, and it's like, there's no great order in how it works, but a natural tie-in when you were talking about the dispensaries and, and we're going to get into that and how you're involved with that. But like, I think something that 
has come to my mind is, okay, we know that you are not supposed to have a narcotic, like a pain pill, unless it's prescribed to you by your doctor. You know that it is um, risky or I, I guess illegal if you go to somebody on the street and you ask for whatever that pain pill is. And so there's that when I when I think about that, like when people will say, oh, well, it's OK because those items are prescribed by a doctor. Well, guess what? Now cannabis can be prescribed by a doctor. What I think is holding us back and maybe like the seriousness of it. And I'm probably going to offend someone when I say this, but um it's those pop-ups, those dispensaries or those places in the gas station where, you know, it looks like the 60s and 70s, the black light, the whole, you know, um, hypnotic look where, you know, you're you're just high. And uh, you, you know what I mean? Like that, I think, is where there's this like misconceived idea that are preconceived idea of cannabis that it is going to be something that gets you high and psychedelic and and that's what it's used for. And so I think that there's some work that has to be done on that end and I mean you're you're part of that but does that make sense to you like why some people are looking at it like that? Yeah, and let me let me just step in on a couple of things. So first the in this state in Missouri and I believe many states Doctors do not prescribe cannabis. Okay. What they do is they will certify that you have a medical condition that allows you to go and become eligible to purchase medical cannabis. And so I think that's a good thing. That's a protection for medical doctors who are really unaware of how to manage patients using medical cannabis. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear that doctors do not prescribe it. Um, it actually is something that um, they certify you and you can go through and have, it has to be certified by an MD in order to have a card. And you may okay. have a condition. Conditions may include migraines, MS, most a lot of autoimmune conditions, Crohn's, colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, um, epilepsy, seizure disorders, et cetera. So that was, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is I have, uh, you know, working with pediatrics, I will do anything for children because I think they are to be cherished and the most precious beings to walk this earth. So um, I, I love to support them as much as I can um, in health and wellness. But one um, additional turning point for me were the number of patients who were clearly addicted to opioids. I mean, a woman who had a root canal and was giving a 30-day prescription of hydrocodone. And I thought, what well, that <laughs> seems excessive to me. Um, so when I look at what is available, I think my, I really try to reserve my judgment because I do know people who take pain medicine and let's be clear, opioids are not reducing pain. That is not how they work on the body. They create euphoria or a quote unquote, a high. It just seems to be more pleasant because it comes from a doctor. It's in a prescription bottle, but they do the same thing. They give you a high feeling, a high sensation in order for you to not think about the pain that you're in. The only pain medicines that are really in existence are anti-inflammatories. 
So when we think about doctors prescribing pain meds, they're prescribing medications for you to be high. And that's an acceptable form of high because I got it in this brown bottle. It has a script to it as opposed to me going into this little dive shop and there's black light and I'm doing something to medicate myself. I, I Being an integrative doctor, one of the things that I put at the forefront is for advocacy for help. I believe if nothing else, this last year taught us to find the medicine that works for you. You know, as we, many of us have, you know, we're waiting for a vaccine. What do you do in the interim of waiting? You know, you took vitamin B3 because there was science that that's what they were doing in the New York hospitals and vitamin C. There was more information about elderberry than I've ever seen in my entire career. I know. Because <laughs> these are accessible medicines that actually work to prevent many people from getting deathly ill. And so what people need, they need medicine that's at their fingertips. They need medicine that they are able to control. They need to be able to be in charge of their own health. The last thing you want to do is have to wait for a test to determine if you have a disease and then have to wait for a vaccine. That's a, I think many of us um, felt the immense level of fear. So the, one of the reasons I am 1000% behind cannabis because it teaches us to be advocates for our own health. Whether you go to the doctor and choose an opioid versus going to find some place where you can use cannabis, the biggest, impo most important thing there is now you have a choice. You've chosen an opioid over cannabis or vice versa. There's no judgment there for me as a practitioner. I just want you to know that there are options. Unfortunately, with the immense unnecessary legality surrounding plant medicines such as cannabis, people have to find shady routes to, to receive this medicine. Um, I would never buy cannabis on the street from someone I didn't know if I didn't know the grower. I would never buy that. Um, and let me also be clear, I'm not a cannabis user, so I don't want to speak to, because that's not my, I mean, it seems odd. I know I'm in this industry, but <laughs> it's not my go-to medicine. You know, I drink, I'll drink tea, herbal tea before I do anything. Um, but I also have to learn not to judge the people who chose that high over the other, over the prescribed high. And I have talked to many patients who said sometimes this works and that high wears off more quickly and it's non-addictive compared to an opioid that was given to me as an option for my actual medical doctor. So what we need is the advocacy of individuals and that education of individuals so that they are more informed. What we need are facilities, dispensaries that are legit operating, you know, out in the open where people can go in and feel comfortable to become educated and then make the choice if they want to move forward. What we need is a reduction in the legality of it, the illicitness of it across the nation. And then people are going to make their choice. And cannabis is strictly about choice. I'm not telling people, I mean, I talk to patients every day. It's rare that I tell someone to try cannabis. But if they ask, it is an option. I want to know that I could have the option between taking you know, a pain medicine or taking going to the store and and get melatonin for sleep. I want to know that there are many options. Maybe I'll try CBD or cannabis because the melatonin didn't help me get into a deeper sleep. And if I don't do those, then okay, maybe I'll then talk to my doctor about Ambien or some other, you know, Lunesta, some sleep aid. It's just creating access to healthcare in a more diffuse, more well-rounded, and more accommodating way that empowers each and every each individual that's out there. I did not know that 
this is so crazy. Like when you were talking about the opiates that like, okay, so when that they were just, they would just get you basically high. That's what they were. They weren't there to treat the pain. And it hit me like whenever I have had something, whatever, like even my C-sections, that a prescription for extra strength ibuprofen, let's say, I'm like, well, where's the good stuff? Honestly, like I'd be like, where, where is, you know, insert whatever so-called pain pill here. Like that's on me for not knowing. I mean, I, I don't think I'm the only one, but I, I didn't know. I thought it treated the exact pain. Yeah. Ibuprofen is going to be an anti-inflammatory. That's going to be your go-to. You know, they get right. not some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Right. I had no idea. I, I no clue. I did not know that until this conversation right now. That's just. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think that's where we all like, why would you know that? You know, I always say, why would you have this information in your back pocket? And that's where, you know, there's not enough room and space and time to educate the masses. And when, you know, we have life and we have children and you have mortgages and get to work. And it's like, I'm not thinking about the ingredients of, you know, ibuprofen. You know, it's like people are, you know, there are things that you're experts in. And I, I feel like that's how that's how we are. We we know what we know. And then hopefully we come together in community or in opportunities like this that you've provided. Thank you very much. Where we can now share information and data and have conversations about it. You know, I, I talk so much about, obviously, I need to take care of myself, but I, I want to do it for my girls because they are young and I want to teach them how to have a healthy lifestyle as well. Um, so all of this, like even I've never really, I mean, I probably have thought about it in the past, but not as serious as I am thinking about it now, but even just going to a naturopathic doctor like yourself, that is on my list. Like that's something that, um, I really definitely want to, to do because I feel like we have so many things going on in our body that connect with one and another and another and another, and you can go to your general practitioner for this, but then you have to go to this person for this. And it's like, well, how are they all communicating? And I had that conversation with a woman I work with that like, you know, you just almost need one place and all of these individuals that work together to help whatever it is that, you know, you are going through because the communication needs to be there. Yeah. And, and not to, make this sound daunting, but I tell all patients, like, you are the bottom line. I can give mm-hmm. you a host of information. You should always research. Your MD can give you a host of information, rheumatologists, your neurologists. And then it comes down to you. What what resonates with you? Like, we are, you know, experts in our field, but we're not experts in you. So when you go to a naturopathic doctor, we're going to sit down and talk about all those therapies and what feels right and what makes sense. And I, you know, I often joke and say I have a team of practitioners because, you know, sometimes you do get busy and, you know, things need to be rebalanced. So I work, I can in my head think I know what's going on with me, but sometimes I reach out to another practitioner to say, hey, this is what's going on. What's your feedback? And it's not that that person is, again, they're not an expert in me. They're listening to me. They're providing 
um, you know, another piece that I may not have been able to consider because I'm in my own body, you know. And so you sit yeah. down with a naturopath, that's an hour. And, and you have some MDs now who are getting into, we call, they call them like boutique practices who are wanting to be more integrative and give you the time. It's impossible to really get to the root cause of illness in 15 minutes. One hour is sometimes a challenge because you're trying to explore what's the next step. And, you know, you are ultimately your own healer. You just seek out us to support you in your healing. Like I always say, I work for you. You tell me what you need. How do I help you? And then we go from there. And so there, there are quite a few that are burgeoning in the Missouri area. I've been able to chat with really good naturopaths or finding um, a more integrative or a holistic MD. And I have colleagues who are very traditional MDs, and it's not a slight to them at all. It's just that's not their style of practice, and that's okay. You know, if I a good rheumatologist is a good rheumatologist. It doesn't matter, you know, if they are versed in cannabis or lemon balm or, you know, turmeric. You just want someone who's going to give you a once over and, and really get the testing that you need and whatnot. But um, sometimes in that case, you might need that additional ally who will take the time to go through all of those details of labs and testing. Um, but ultimately, it does come down to you. Not You have to be an expert in your labs. You just have to be an expert in you. What do I feel? I often say there are three things. Am I eating, sleeping, and pooping? You know, if you're doing mm-hmm. that and you ask yourself those questions each day, that's like your own little mini exam. And if you're not, then start to unravel. Is it something I've eaten? Is it some level of stress that's increased? Or is there something that I need to change with my you know, prescriptions or with my vitamin plan? Um, and just once you kind of start picking apart those little pieces, then you might need to seek out you know, a physical therapist or some practitioner in a field that you may need that assistance in. So I want to obviously tie back into cannabis. Another great thing that I, I love that you said was that you're not a cannabis user, which I actually think is important that you're saying that on this podcast, because it would be very easy for someone to be like, well, of course she's going to be um, an advocate because she uses it. And she, no, that, this is not what this is. This is about you being a doctor, you doing the research and you seeing what the results can be. So right. what I would like to kind of tie into and, and I mentioned this earlier in the episode that um, you and I had a conversation before. And one thing that you told me is, that, and, and I didn't know this, that if you, you can just, the average Joe cannot just walk into a dispensary. That's not how this works. And so I was wondering if you could talk about that and even talk about, you know, who you have started working for to help with this whole process, to help with this education? Absolutely. Yes. I'm not a, a, a cannabis user. I have, I have inhaled once, but <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, unfortunately my drug of choice is sugar. So, you know, that, I have oh. to manage that once a week, but um, with all of this and just, um, I've had the, the glorious opportunity of working for Belief. And Belief, um, at the time when I first was introduced to this company, it's Mitch Myers and Stephanie Cernicek, they were growing CBD or the hemp, so the non-THC form of cannabis. And they were working with patients at Cardinal Glennon, the pediatric patients who were having Dravet syndrome, epilepsy, or seizure disorders. And that was my introduction to them because I had patients who said, hey, I got this local CBD 
Um, and so I just oh, was just a fan of them from that point on and just stayed in contact. And then this legal, you know, cannabis industry started to take off. And, and because they've been here and doing it and doing it right, they have um, leapt into the medical cannabis arena and were able to now have um, cultivation, which were the growing operation for cannabis, and then manufacturing, which is where I work. Uh, manufacturing is actually making the product for the patients, and then the dispensaries. So there are kind of three components to the company. Uh, the company that I work for is a subsidiary of Belief, which is Phytos Cannabis. And so we really try to bring in some of the high-quality high quality kind of science and merge that with the, the product in order to make really low-dose uh, products. Or we, we do think about our seniors who are trying to transition off of opioids and having some really good solutions for them. So those are some of the products you'll see, tinctures, which are the, the liquid droppers. So, and then there's, the, of course, the edibles and gummies for those who don't like the taste of cannabis, so to speak, or don't want to consume it in smoke form. And so Fido's Cannabis, a subsidiary of Belief, in addition to, to um, Sense, which is the cultivation of grow. So once you have a medical card, so your doctor certifies you, you get to walk into a suede dispensary. Suede is the other the third component or subsidiary of Belief. And there are five suede dispensaries, three open, three open now with two additional. And they're very well spaced out. You know, you got Ellisville, Missouri, you have St. Peter's, and the Grove is just um, in South City with an additional Cherokee Street location that's coming too. So you have many good um, kind of well-spaced options. Once you have your certifying card, you take this into the dispensary and you're going to meet one of the very well-trained, well, very well-educated staff members who will talk to you about your needs, your health needs. They're not just going to say, hey, take this, it tastes good, or this will get you high. They want to know, like, what, what do you need and how can we assist you? And so you have, a, it's a really good opportunity to, even if you got your card and you didn't want to purchase anything, just to learn a little bit more about what this plant offers and how it can benefit you or someone that you may know. Um, and then you become the advocate and the education tool to support those around you who may be struggling with chronic pain, who may be struggling with some type of you know, neurological imbalance, ALS or uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, which cannabis is showing to work, work wonders in. And so you have um, the suede dispensaries, great places to stop in, chat, and just get a look at the product offerings. And if you can't make it out to a dispensary, you can check the website to swaycannabis.com. And that will show you just what is there. There's some information about, you know, cannabis. There's information about, you know, how the plant is consumed and what your limits are and what you're able to purchase in a month's time. So when people are wondering about, well, if I do purchase it and how much can I have, all of that information is available on the website as well. This is definitely a new conversation that is, I believe, being had by more and more people and it will continue to be had. And yes, I hope at some point it's like just natural conversation. What I want to say is I don't, you are not on this podcast to say, hey, I'm going to hook you up with your medical card. Here's where you need <laughs> no. to go. And this is what you need to do. That Absolutely was not, not. <laughs> the intent of this at all. This was an educational piece that I wanted to make sure people were aware of because, you know, 
everybody always jokes, don't Google anything. Don't Google. And, and I mean, you would just be lost. Like, you know, hey, what do I do? I don't understand. And yeah. so that was like the main reason why I wanted you to come on and and talk about everything. And And I know that you and I talked before about this too. I liked how you said for you, when you are treating your patients, if it is cannabis, that is an option. You like to treat it with something else. You don't just, you try to figure out everything that makes sense. And whether that is cannabis, whether it's not, you want to do what you can to help a person feel well. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I've had patients where we've tried simple, or I don't want to say simple, but for me, it may be simple. Like, let's lower your blood pressure, and they want to try things naturally. Every now and again, you get a patient, and if they need medication, they'll say, you know what, you should follow up with your cardiologist. Because I I never want to have someone force uh, any therapy just because they think it's the best therapy. Cannabis is not the panacea. It is not the end-all, be-all, but it is a great tool to consider in their toolkit. That's what's always so great is the toolbox. I, As I'm recording with you, I have this vision board in front of me, and it's it's something I got from one of my devotionals for my, my Bible app, and it's like the toolbox. You know, you've got to say, what do I need in my toolbox? My strength, my courage, my perseverance, my salvation, my truth. Like these are the things that you need to look at. Just an idea. It was just yeah. like, hey, just make sure your toolbox is full and that yeah. you have the right things to get you to the next step. Yeah. And and you hit the nail on the head. I never like to go into this with all patients, but I was raised that prayer is your first medicine. Yep. And when you start there, what comes afterwards is up to you to follow through with. So there are people who come in the door and they're just like, I don't, I'm feeling like this could be helpful. I don't want to get in the way of that. And they're going to be people who just say, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I will support you just the same. So that's why I always go back. It's up to you. It's always up to you. And it's up to you to make the decision that feels right for you and your household. Before I hang up this conversation with you, Jamila, I mean, final parting words. I feel like you've said them, but just want to make sure that um, there's nothing we missed. Yeah, I just, you must know that I'm appreciative of this opportunity to be able to chat about, you know, plant. I I look at this as a gateway to plant medicine, like in a good way. Like people can now think about, you know, tummy aches and I'll use peppermint tea or, you know, I'll use some other herb to just help calm my nerves, like lemon balm. So I thank you for the opportunity as I am an advocate for for all people and the healers that are within you. Um, I do like to let people know that, you know, we were gifted many, many tools on this earth and plants are one of them. And I think with all plants that we have at our fingertips, they are to be used with some discernment, with, with reason and with, you know, proper consideration of what your health needs are. I am happy that people are opening up because opening up to one plant means you can open up to others and find that there are many healers that we have just at our fingertips outside of our doors and our gardens. So I, I am just honored um, to be able to chat about that on a regular basis. It let's me know that we're moving in the right direction. It is time for the Super Mom shout out brought to you by Addie's Way. The nomination this week is going to Angie of St. Louis and her husband, Josh, nominated her. 
He said that Angie is a super mom and a half, especially when she was traveling, having to take care of three children, but then she has to be a caregiver to a, a very needy husband at times. She's a successful corporate gal, and like I said, grinds every day. Angie, I see you and I support you, and you will be getting that special super mom shirt in the mail from Lisa at Addie's Way. If you have a super mom that you would like to nominate, all you have to do is email me, hello at jilldevine.com, or you can go to the website, jilldevine.com, and there is a super mom shout out form that you can fill out there. And then that super mom will be recognized in an upcoming episode of Two Kids in a Career, and we'll also get that special customized shirt from Addie's Way. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and the support. And I would like to ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. So this is how this works in the podcast world. Anytime there is someone that subscribes to your podcast or rates it or reviews it, it gets a little bit more noticed. And of course, that's what I would like for this podcast to do, get in the hands of others that don't know about it. So I thank you in advance for that and for your support of two kids and a career.